today. You're wearing it. I am. It looks amazing. Thank you. That looks fantastic. So, well, we'll talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to start asking you all these questions and then you'll be like, and then we won't even do the podcast. <laughs> it's so good to see you. Yes, you too. Sorry, I'm just changing my view. It's, uh, oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so why don't we start at the beginning? Because um, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell everybody who you are. I would love to hear how you came to knitting and spinning in the first place. Because um, your stuff is just amazing. It is oh. so inspiring. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, oh, and where are you? Oh, I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> around the world. <laughs> um, and how did I start? So I started knitting when I was 18, my first year in university. Um, and I don't remember why. Mm. Um, it just seemed, I guess, like a thing to do. That was when like, Stitch and Bitch had come out or right around there. So it was sort of having like a bit of a heyday, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah. I had um, all those books. Me too. <laughs> I think I still have them. I'm sure I do. Some of my books are still packed away from the move. But um, yeah, so I started knitting and I pretty much stuck with it. Mm. Um, I didn't really, like, I know a lot of people sort of stop and start. Um, but I just sort of stuck with it and kept with relatively simple stuff mm -hmm. um, for a while. And then I eventually eventually was like, well, this isn't hard enough anymore. Let's see what else we can do. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. That's awesome. <laughs> and oh, some of those early patterns, they were quite like they were relatively simple. Like I feel like patterns have become progressively more, more complicated as the community has grown. I think so. Yeah, I think so for sure. And, um, oh, and spinning, I started, God, I don't even remember. I think it was probably about seven years later. Okay. Um, and I started on one of those Ashford drop spindles, which I found really frustrating and I really hated it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be honest. Um, and then I got a wheel pretty soon thereafter because I was like, well, this sucks. So I guess, you know, get a really big, expensive piece of equipment to see if you like it better. <laughs> and I actually ended up getting it for my birthday and I stuck with that. And it's still the same and only wheel that I have. And I've had it now for 12 years. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you take a class originally or did you... No. <laughs> How did you end up with the Ashford spindle? Did somebody just give it to you at a, was like in a shop or? Um, I, uh, I'm, I don't even remember, honestly. I think yeah. I saw it in a knitting shop and I was like, oh, what's that? And I think I probably ended up talking to the guy that ran the shop and grabbed it. And I mean, they're, they're relatively inexpensive, right? So it was sort of like a, great way to start even though I hated the thing <laughs> totally. but, you know <laughs> that's point right yeah what drew you to it just you were in the right spot at the right time or or were you coming to it like because you really wanted to make your own yarn I think I I I, I wanted I just had it in my head to make my own yarn mm -hmm. and I'm not sure it feels like so long ago <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I think I was just like, well, maybe I can, that's sort of my MO. I'm like, well, I don't know how to do this. So let's see, let's see if we can figure out how to do it. Yeah. So I think that's probably just what it was. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, now, like, you know, most of what you do seems to be from fleece. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what's your process? Like what the stuff that you make is mostly, um, uh, fleece, fleece to yarn, dyeing usually to garment. So, um, yeah. Do you, do you want to walk us through all of that? You and I, <laughs> sort of, that's sort of what both of us really love to do. That's sort of what we, and you used to do the farm tour pre COVID. Yeah. Um, and you get <laughs> Hopefully all your this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear about all of that. Cause that's really what I'm super curious about is like how, how people sort of do that. <laughs> yeah. I think so. How I started doing that was, I mean, Alberta is like a pretty big agricultural province. Right. And we're known for cattle. Yeah. Um, but we actually have a really large amount of sheep producers like a lot yeah um I think and quite a wide I, variety too of breeds right yeah which is a little bit surprising because we're so cold yeah. um but no they, they seem to do all right <laughs> they're pretty hardy yeah and I mean obviously some breeds won't live very well here you know breeds that need to live in the south and can't tolerate you know minus 20 minus 30 weather right um, but a lot of them can. So like a lot of people have, you know, there's several um, BFL flocks, like lots of them. And there's lots of Shetlands. There's lots of um, sort of like crossbreeds. A lot of people do crosses. Um, there's Cheviot, which is great because that's what I love. <laughs> there's a lot of Cheviot here too. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of people have Jacobs. And yeah. it's it's funny because it ranges it's sort of like Alberta's like secret that we have so much sheep, yeah. um, which is, you know, I was going to say great. I mean, it's not great that it's a secret, but it's great that we have so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Double-edged sword. Yeah. Most of it's for meat production, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Almost yeah. like people can't make money off of no. just the fleece. No. So there's a couple of people that run breeding programs. Um, and then there's, mostly what it is so it's for meat and mm -hmm. except for like a small sort of number of people who sort of have them on their cattle farms for like grazing so they can keep the grass down and that sort totally. of stuff they may keep them more as pets um but no it's mostly mostly meat <laughs> yeah it, I have to admit do you do you watch the show Heartland I don't okay there's um I can't remember what season it is it's like it was a number of years ago so Heartland for those who don't know is a Canadian show uh it's on CBC television you can get it on the website like you can stream it off of there it's on Netflix anyways it's been running for like 15 years or something like it's an old wow. show now I know and it's changed <laughs> over the years I know it's crazy but it, it's set in Alberta and it's meant to be like somewhere outside of Canmore because they're right. Like right at the mountains there. Right. Anyways, there's, there's one season where the dad, not the grandfather, cause he's kind of the main guy, but the, the dad, um, so basically like the son-in-law, he brings sheep to the ranch and like Jack is just like furious. <laughs> about there have never been sheep on this ranch and blah 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 it goes <laughs> on for the whole season for that particular season 
And I don't know what the sheep are that they got for the show, but they're like the, like, just, they look like they've been through the wars. Like, they're, <laughs> they're like these scraggly, they're, they, they're not super big, so they're not like suffix, but they're like these scraggly, like, <laughs> like and you should watch the show. It's great. Um, start at the beginning though. Um, okay. Because it builds on itself. Um, anyways, it just cracks me up because <laughs> I always think of you because um uh it's like here uh because Langley so I live in Langley um uh which is a suburb of Vancouver um for those who, who don't know um and um like we're so like we're basically known for horses because there's more horses per capita in Langley than there are people <laughs> but what people don't know is that there's just as many sheep mm. <laughs> So it kind of makes me laugh. Like you've got these areas of Canada that are um, actually very, very heavily agricultural areas. Mm -hmm. Like basically all of Western Canada is agriculture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> you go out and do your farm tour usually. So normal, like when we're not in the midst of a pandemic, you go out and do your farm tour and stuff and you source a lot of this stuff. So how did you kind of get started doing that? Um, I, so what I started doing was I looked at, um, I was looking up breeders first. So people okay. were registered with whoever, and that sort of led me down looking through what I ended up finding a lot of was that a lot of, um, farmers are on Facebook in my area, yeah. which I wasn't. So I had to join Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I hate um, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's really the ideal forum for them, right? Like yeah. what other forum, like there isn't a rivalry for farmers. No. And so I've ended up, what I ended up doing was finding a couple of sort of Western Canada slash Alberta, you know, producer groups. And then some of them were sort of talking about, well, you know, the fleece and mm. it costs so much to just to shear them. Right. And it's basically a waste product and for them. And I was like, well, Let's see what we can do about that. So I basically yeah. just started contacting them and saying, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm interested. Are, are you interested? And some people surprisingly like weren't. They were like, ah, it's not worth it. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, but a lot of them were like, oh, yeah. And then I sort of ended up talking to them, a lot of them about, you know, the co-op because some of them sell to the wool co-op, which is um, they have a Western Canada and Eastern Canada division. But like, basically, it's you just sell your wool to them right okay and they give you whatever they sort of uh deem your wool is worth so it depends on how sort of what kind of wool it is and how clean it is and all that sort of stuff right and some of them weren't totally happy with that setup <laughs> so they yeah, were happy not really any money in it right there's not like most of the time it doesn't even like the what they end up getting doesn't even cover sharing so and I keep getting more and more expensive, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And so a couple of them do have the ability to sort of sell to like local mills. So we have customer mills here and they okay. pay a better price than the co-op does a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, so I basically just came in and said, I'll buy your fleece. <laughs> yeah. And then there we go. And so now I have these ongoing relationships, um, especially with a few of them that I go back to every year. I'm hoping I get to see them again this year. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it's sort of right now it's like year by year, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Yeah. So did, did, did you tend to get quite a lot of fleeces from them? Like, was, like, did you have long-term goals or plans of, around like um, doing like farm to yarn type stuff or is this totally just for yourself? It was initially for myself and yeah. then I sort of saw the quantity, especially some of the, and I mean, some people have very small flocks. It's like, right. you know, 10 to 40 sheep sort of thing, quite small, but some of them have like a couple of places that I get fleece from. They have, you know, 200 to 300 oh. to 400 sheep. So they have a lot of fleece that they end yeah. up having. Right. Um, so it's sort of, I, it was an, initially just for me. And then I thought, well, you know, cause I sell some of the wool too. And I was like, well, I can do that too. And I can pay them a better price than they're getting from the co-op. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody kind of wins was the idea. And then I ended up with all that Cheviot in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, cause, and she's somebody that I bought from several times. And she was like, look, I don't have time to skirt this year. I will give you a heck of a deal if you take a bunch of it. And I was like, sure <laughs> done <laughs> yeah. so we ended up meeting up and I grabbed a bunch of it and then I sent it all down to the mill and I got it back and that was super exciting yeah what was that experience like that was great because I'd never done that before right mm -hmm. and so I really did not know because it's funny because you know how to talk about hand spinning but yeah. it's definitely different when you're dealing with a mill and the mill I dealt with is very small it's just outside of Drumheller and um, it's a lady and her mother, I believe. And it's one of those uh, Belfast mini mill systems. Okay. And so they, um, it's just the two of them. So we ended up emailing back and forth a bunch. She would send me pictures of samples, be like, what do you think of this? And she's like, and I believe she hadn't worked with Cheviot or pure Cheviot before, mm. like a purebred Cheviot. So she was like, it was really interesting for her. And so, yeah. That was fun. It was really fun. I want to do it every year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you think this would be something that you would want to like pursue and do? I would love to. And it'd be pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it'd be fun to do a different breed every year. Right. And I know, oh, yeah. I know a lady who has a bunch of Icelandics um, that I get from, I get some from every year. And uh, I mean, I can certainly buy more than I generally do from her. Yeah. So if that would be, I thought that would be like a really fun thing to do. I don't know if I want to go Lopi style or maybe sort of keep it to like a two ply and I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> thing, like your mind starts to just go in all these different directions. Like how do you even yeah. decide, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think about the sampling that we do as hand spinners and then you look at like what a mill can do and you're just like, if time was no factor and money was no factor, like we could yeah. play all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then how do you share this stuff with others? Like how do you get it out there to share? You know, I think that's part of it, right? Yeah. That's really cool. So did you keep some of the Cheviot yarn? Like are you gonna I do. I actually have all of it. Um oh, okay. because I haven't I've actually my last batch I'm mordanting today because I'm oh, dying okay. a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and then I will sell some of it on the website, but I have a bunch earmarked for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you went through all of that, right? And 2020 was such a, like, it, it would be nice to have sort of something, you know, yeah. positive that can come out of it. Yeah. yeah. So did you, and you dye most of your own stuff. And um, how did you get into dyeing? I think that was like the same sort of thing. I was like, well, what's this? This is something I don't know how to do. Let's see if we can figure it out. Yeah. 
I feel like dying does, it's like a natural progression with with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And ideally I'd like to sort of source because all of my dyes come from Maywalk. Yes. Um, I would like to source more stuff locally. Um, but it's, it's difficult because so the city of Edmonton chops down the goldenrod pretty much immediately as soon as it starts to flower. <laughs> so I go to all these spots where I know it grows in abundance and then it's like, oh, okay, it's gonna flower probably in about a week. I'll come back in six days and then I go and then it's gone. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's so frustrating. You almost need yeah. to have like a little, like your own little stat, like something in your yard. <laughs> yeah. And oh, your own. Yeah. And I'm starting fresh with an all new garden because we moved. Right. Yeah. So I've been, I've been trying to sort of plan dye plants that'll sort of do, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that would be so cool. Cause it likes it, you know, a lot of that dye stuff, like it blooms at different times. It comes mm-hmm. into season at different times. Like if you really planned it out, you'd have like your seasons, Yeah, you know, which would be really cool. Yeah. And I would, I know um, at Longway Homestead, they grow their own indigo. And that's something mm-hmm. I'm really interested in doing because I was under the impression that there was no way this far north with this short a season, I could grow indigo. And you can grow it in Manitoba, you can grow it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figure, right? So we'll see how that works. I'm not sure what the requirements are for it, mm-hmm. like for growing. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> what if they tent it for part of the year? Like, I wonder if there's some things that she does to kind of protect it and yeah. get those crazy frosts. Um, yeah. Cause like, she's not that far South, like they're no. in quite a wintry part of Manitoba. So yeah. For those who are not from Canada and don't know what we're talking about, the, the Manitoba is a very, it's almost right smack in the middle of our country and it's uh, still considered the West but it's very, very wind. Like they get, they get long winters and it's cold. Um, they, um, I, I think, I I think sort of like Manitoba on, um, probably get some of the worst winters in other than the Maritimes Like Maritimes gets hammered with those Atlantic storms. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, but like my, my mom's family's from Manitoba. They're from Winnipeg. Mm. Mm. And uh, my mom talks about standing at Portage in Maine and the wind just blasting through. Yeah, (laughs) We have a couple of intensivists. um, So physicians of critical care medicine, there's not very many jobs for ICU doctors across Canada um, because we don't have a large population. So they tend to kind of move around and do locums in different areas. So Mm -hmm. uh, like this week, one of our docs is he actually lives in Victoria, but he's here for a week to do a, a week of ICU for us. Oh. And uh, a couple of them come out here and are from Winnipeg and they always come in the middle of January. <laughs> like I needed a break. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like good timing. Yeah. Yeah. Leave, leave, um, just get away from it a little bit. Right. Yeah. We might have the rain, but we don't have snow. So, oh, I much prefer sun, um, sun and snow. Well, we, we, I mean, we get a lot of sun here. Yeah. But honestly, I prefer the winter weather to Vancouver and Victoria, which I both lived in, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you find when you lived out here, because um, you're from the prairies originally, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. from Edmonton. Yeah. That's what I thought. Did you did you find when you were living here, like, th- so my husband's from, from Ontario, 
And um, one of the things, and I'm originally from up north, and and of course my mom was born and raised in in Winnipeg. Um, we often talk about here we just don't have seasons. Mm-hmm. But if you've lived where or you've grown up where there are distinct seasons, um, you really miss that. Did you find that when you were living here? No. <laughs> Because it, it just kind of goes from like rain to rain to rain. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, especially in Vancouver, Victoria isn't as bad. They get way more sun. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I will maintain that I will take rain and clouds yeah. for winter over minus 20 and sun any day. But really? yeah. yeah, that's me. And yeah. you know what? We've actually had a gorgeous winter so far. It's like yeah. plus one right now, which is oh. Perfect. you know, t-shirt weather. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sweater with a tank top under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to admit when you get those deep, those, like when it gets really cold, like minus 20, minus 30, it's so hard to be outside, you know, and I found like, you know, when we've been at my in-laws um, for Christmas and it's been like minus 35, minus 40, like you, you're just, you get so cooped up, you know, yeah. it's sunny. Yeah. Um, and it's gorgeous, it's gorgeous sunshine coming in through the windows, but the kids are just like chomping at the bit. The dogs can't go out. Yeah. It's definitely a different way of life, you know, and you find other things. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely do the hunker down inside in the winter. Hibernation is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, um, you do mostly natural dyeing, correct? Yes. That's actually all I've done. Okay. That's what I, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you've um, made over the last like while, like as long as you want that, like sort of, can you walk us through through your process, like from where you got the inspiration to sort of how the spinning and the sampling, because you're a sampler, mm-hmm. which I love. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like how you, so what's your process? Like, how do you, like, you've done some big sweaters. You're wearing one right now. Like even you could w- walk us through this one um, and you did that, um, gorgeous um it was like that seafoam bluey green kind of tealy yeah that was that was was actually that was oh that was one of my most favoriteest mistakes I've ever done so (laughs) what I remember you talking about it on the back channel yeah (laughs) so what I actually did was and it wasn't for that project it was another project I was trying to create a color and I ended up getting this really pukey brown on my yarn using, I think, logwood exhaust and Osage or something. It was something I totally didn't expect to get. Mm. And I was like, this is horrible and I hate it. And I've ruined this yarn and I was so sad. And then um, uh, Andrea from Fox Print Fibers, and you can find her on Instagram. She's a great natural dyer. Oh, okay, good um, she lives in Ontario. And um, she was like, just put it in indigo. Indigo fixes everything. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I did, and I got that color. And I was like, this is the color. This is my color. I love that color. Yeah. So I decided basically that I was going to end up dyeing a whole sweater that way. Now mm-hmm. it was interesting to try to replicate a mistake so that I could over dye it with the indigo to get that color. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, I sort of, I felt like I knew what I was doing more or less. So I ended up using Osage and chestnut to get that brown and then dipped it in indigo. And there you go. And there's something about using like the Osage or marigold would work too. 
um, to sort of bring out the yellow, but you want to dampen it quite a bit with a brown color in order to keep it dark and not be like super bright green. Right. Which is also fine if that's what you're going for, but I was going for a teal, right? So yeah, yeah. that's how I ended up doing that, which was awesome. And now I can replicate that color or close to, yeah. and I'm very happy with that. <laughs> That's so neat too. Cause I mean, that's just totally color theory. Like it's just color blending, right? Like yeah. figuring out like, what are the primary colors? How do you make Brown? Which yeah. Is all the colors. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, like looking at it, like you were saying about the yellow, it's one of the reasons why I always say when we're talking about color, we need to look at not say green, it's mm -hmm. yellow and blue. Yeah. And, and that is how you create it. And then, and then there's the spectrum of green. Yep a more blue green or a more yellow green and how do you achieve that spectrum of yellow and blue not yeah. you know what I mean and then and then you can kind of start to get your head around the color theory piece yeah you know and how you make these different colors yeah uh, do you keep an indigo back going all the time um I sort of do and I don't in summer if I exhaust it generally I'll just create a new one because sometimes okay. it's easier yeah. um I actually do have one down in the basement now um, that I can sort of keep going. I haven't refreshed it yet, um, but I'm planning to in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. I haven't been totally successful with like reviving an indigo vat in the past. So we'll see how this chemical one, goes. one or a natural one. Chemical. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the ease of keeping yeah. it going. Yeah. yeah. We did some um, indigo dyeing a couple of summers ago that was with a, with, it was chemical. Mm -hmm. uh, I was surprised at how well it went. Like I'm not an indigo expert by any chance, by any stretch. I would love to do the Miwa um, workshop on it. Um, that those two Thursday evenings that they do and they offer it now like via Zoom or something like they do it online. Yeah. Is that how you got into it? Like, how did you get into indigo? Um, I wanted blue. Mm. <laughs> that's yep. that was the instigator for it right and blue yep. is extremely difficult to get without indigo so yes. with, with other plants yep. so that was sort of the simplest way to do it so I was like well we'll give this a shot and it was actually it wasn't I ended up getting one of those sort of pre-made kits and then started with that and now I just sort of get the supplies as I need them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then just keep it going from there that is so cool yeah I have to admit the indigo is something that I'd really like to delve into, but I, I haven't delved into dyeing a ton. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So um, do you want to tell us about your sweater that you're wearing now? Oh yeah. So this yeah. is Tunis. You just uh, finished this too. I just finished it January 1st. I did the neckline, which was all that was left to do. And then um, we did the ends and blocked it. And seriously, up until I put it on after blocking, I was like, I don't know. Cause it looked, so tiny on the needles oh, and I was no. like oh god <laughs> and I tried it on cables like how cables just kind of fall in on themselves when you're knitting maybe it does it sort of like totally scrunches everything up and I knew that and it was it this is like a super bouncy yarn so mm -hmm. I was like well it's gonna relax and I did a gauge swatch so I know <laughs> it's mostly okay uh -huh. <laughs> mostly okay I love that <laughs> so I put once I came to the split I put it on and I had a bit of room and I was like okay you know what I'm just gonna keep going because this yeah. thing has been such a process throughout this year yeah. I'm just gonna keep going and then I blocked it and I stretched the heck out of it when I was doing it and put it on and it fit and I was like oh thank god <laughs> wow is it contiguous 
It is. So I did, um, it's all knit in the round. I did a split hem. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, I love and, that. Yeah. So then I just split it the arms, did this, uh, set in sleeves and did the arms in the round. Um, do you just do short row shaping for the sleeve caps? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Wow. So what was the sampling process like? Cause I know this has been going on for a while. So you had, you use, you chose Tunis, you had the fleece. Yep. I so had what, the fleece. What's your kind of process like? Like what, um, if you were talking to somebody who'd never done this before mm -hmm. and wanted to go through from the fleece, like what are, like, do you mind just starting at the beginning and kind of like, what do you look for in the fleece? How do you start to kind of deal with it? Mm -hmm. So I look for, I, what I normally do is I normally pick the pattern first which I know not everybody does. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to have sort of like that ultimate angle in mind. <laughs> so usually I pick the pattern first. And um, I, I had picked Derwent by Sarah Cook um, mm -hmm. for this year. And this is sort of like a knockoff of it because I couldn't end up knitting it, which I'll talk about in yeah, a bit, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will sort of pick, like I knew I wanted to do heavily cabled this year. So I wanted a, I originally thought I was going to do a three ply. I ended up doing a two ply. Um, but I wanted like a bouncy yarn. So it would kind of pop and poof up. And yeah. so that's why I ended up going with this tunis. I also ended up going with this tunis because I knew I had a lot of it and I didn't want to run out again, which is what happened in when was the first tour to fleece? Whenever that was this year, was in 2020. Say, I'm not, I can't, I don't, 2019? <laughs> in 2018 or 2020. Oh my God, I'm so confused on what year it is. <laughs> I feel like it's just the last couple of years are such a blur. Yeah. Yeah. So 2020, um, I, now I totally lost my train of thought. I had originally thought I was going to do you one. You ran out thing. of yarn for your other one. I did. So I, made this wonderful blend and it's beautiful and it was this gray and I loved the yarn and it was actually perfect and I could get gauge and I was like woo and then I finished it and I was like I do not have anywhere near enough so I had 665 yards ish and I needed a thousand more or less for the sweater and no way to replicate it because I had made this blend with all these odds and ends I was like so I looked at what I had and I had the Tunis, yeah. which I had a lot of. So I was like, I'm not going to run out of this. <laughs> and I'm really not going to run out of this because I'm not going to do a three ply again. So <laughs> I just started making a two ply for the second tour de fleece. And um, I was spinning it and I knew I had enough and I had my sample, which I had done. Um, and I, what I do is I make my little sample finish it how I'm going to finish it. I um, will do sort of, I'll either do one and then see if it sort of matches to what I want. If it doesn't, okay. then I'll sort of keep doing more. Yeah. Um, I don't sit down and do a bunch at once because why do the extra work yeah. if you don't have to, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I did that. I got, um, my sample was good. It was a DK weight and I was like, this is great. And I wrote down all my little notes. I have cards and I write down all my notes and I started spinning. And 
at the, even though I had it right beside me on my wheel, because I take the sample, including the plyback sample, right to my wheel. <laughs> so I can keep comparing as I go. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when I'm doing like a big spin, right? For small spins, I don't do that. No, but when you're doing a sweater, like you really need that check-in. Yeah. Your spinning does change by 900 yards. Yes, it does. Yeah. As evidenced by this, which ended up being like a heavy worsted weight. <laughs> oh, interesting. I don't know what I did because I was checking and I was getting yeah. like the right, you know, WPI and I was doing it all and my twists were good. And then I finished it all and I was like, oh, damn, that's too thick. And I could just tell looking at it. Yeah. And so I didn't do a swatch because I didn't want to deal with it right then. So I put it away for a couple months. <laughs> it went on timeout. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I ended up doing. So even though I have this sample and normally my samples are pretty good and I end up following them. I don't know what the heck it was. If I was just sort of like going too fast when I was spinning this, that might be it. Yep. Um, the faster flow, more. you tend to spin thicker. Yeah. And yeah. which is funny because I'm, my default is a thin spin, mm -hmm. like fingering or sport. Mm -hmm. And, but I've been really working on getting more comfortable with like, you know, worsted and heavy worsted and stuff like that. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I think I got a little bit too comfortable because mm -hmm. I just did it. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I guess it floofed up a little bit more, I think, than I expected it to in the finishing. You yeah. know, I was very careful. Yeah. Um, was it a worsted prep or a woolen prep? Like, how, how did you prep the... Oh, I carded it. Yeah. So oh, okay. it was, yeah. yeah, it was a woolen. So it wasn't and, like a really super, super long tunis? No. No, it was about... I, I know you're not supposed, like, supposed to put <laughs> long fi fibers through your drum carter, but I totally do. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like all the time. I don't cut them. I don't do anything. I do pick them first. Okay. So they're quite a bit. I built a picker, which is like a box picker, which is real wild looking because I am not a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> but it but, does the job. Yeah, it does the job. So yeah. I did all that first. So I picked it all. And this fleece had a lot of vegetable matter in it. Um, and I knew that, and that's why I actually didn't end up putting it on the shop. So I was like, eh, this is, but I knew I'd use it cause I don't care. Yeah, totally. Personally, if it's not too bad. Um, so that might've had something to do with it. Right. So I was sort of contending with picking up quite a few bits while yeah. I was spinning it. So, you know, you just kind of, you're paying attention, too much attention to one thing. You're maybe not paying enough attention to something else. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the sweater is beautiful. Thank you. I'm yeah. really happy it ended up working out because I hate yeah. ripping things out. Oh, totally. I hate it. Like yeah. I cannot describe how much I hate ripping out things that I've knit. Yeah. So I was, if, if I, <laughs> if I ended up having to rip this out, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> the yarn would have gone on time out for a few months. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe in the trash. I don't know. <laughs> maybe donated to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to dye your sweater or are you going to leave it natural? No, I'm going to leave it natural. I almost, Beautiful. I don't really dye stuff after I've knit it because yeah. I'm always worried it's not going to dye super evenly. Totally. Um, so if I'm going to dye something, I definitely, I don't do it in roving I, because I don't know what it is with me, but it's a hot mess when I do it and it just ends up frustrating me. So I dye yarn. Yeah. It's just easiest. 
I really <laughs> like dying. Like if I'm, if I'm going to die, which is not a ton, but when I do, I like doing the yarn. Yeah. Yeah. I like doing it after I've spun it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mind spinning a pound of white. It doesn't bother me. Nope. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Color, like the color really doesn't bother me. I don't, I know some people will get sort of bored looking at the same thing over and over, yeah. but I'm, I'm so like hyper-focused on like I don't even see the color anyways, if there yeah. is color a lot of the time. But it's so. secondary, right? Yeah. 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 That's fun. Yeah. So I have um like a rapid fire. I wanted to trial it on you if that's okay. Okay. Um, that I wanted to start doing for these um, woolen spinning radio episodes where it's from the community. Cause I thought it was kind of a neat way for people to sort of get to know about each other. Um, so it's just like a quite quick, like a quick answer, like, um, you know, um, one or two words kind of thing or a short phrase. Okay. Um, and we'll just like run through it. Um, yeah, I thought it'd be kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. So the first one, what's your favorite wool of all time? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it started super easy. Um, favorite wool of all time, I think is Cheviot. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. What's your favorite movie? Oh, Brazil. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite number of plies in a yarn. So do you like two ply singles, three ply, five ply, million ply? <laughs> two. Yeah. Yeah. Which favorite food? Oh, um, anything Mexican. Mmm. Love Mexican food. What's your current spinning wheel or spindle that you're using? And you mentioned that you only have one wheel. So what is your wheel? I do. It's a Kromsky Sonata. Those are great wheels. Mm. Um, What's the best book you've read recently? Or a good book you've read recently? A good book I've read recently. I've actually been rereading the or not foundation um the robot novels by Isaac Asimov okay he's one of my favorite authors so I was like I'm gonna reread this so those ones because I've read them a bunch so I obviously I like them (laughs) totally that's a good one um what's your favorite fiber preparation to spin oh boy (laughs) oh if I had to pick hand comb top Mm, done yourself yeah something you binged on netflix or like any other streaming service that you loved utopia on amazon prime okay you're like the fourth person who's mentioned that recently it is amazing and it's really too bad they canceled it okay good to know what was your biggest biggest accomplishment in 2020 Finally getting the sweater. We're <laughs> all at home making. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have a do you have a goal that you'd like to share with us for 2021? Is there something that you're hoping to do? It's not spinning related, mm-hmm. but I would like to make my first full-sized naturally dyed quilt. Oh, that would be amazing. So we'll see. (laughs) Are you like, are you thinking like, um, using, um, uh, something like an, like a, a, you know, a cotton, like starting with the cotton and then dyeing it all the different samples and then 
that would be incredible. Yeah, I have I have some cotton and then I ordered some samples from Mewa because yeah. I'd like to use their organic cotton if possible. So I think I've yeah. sort of settled on one that I really like. So we'll go from there. Oh, that'd be so cool. Are you, <laughs> and from like all the different shades of, of your natural dye stuff? Yeah, I think I think I'm going to I'm either going to I'm going to go with indigo because it's good. Yeah. It's, it's it's easy, but you don't have to use the tannins and everything to set the dyes. And um, I can't decide if I want to go with like a light matter. So like a light reddish color or a light yellow with marigold. Oh, so we'll see. Yeah. How many colors are you planning? I'm just going to, I'm either, I'm going to do definitely indigo and then secondary color. And then I'm not sure if I'm going to have some white background. Yeah. Um, So something quite modern. Yeah. That would be incredible. Very cool. Is that for your new house? Yeah. Did you guys move really super far from where you were originally or? No, like 10 minutes. (laughs) Oh, okay. Are you you in Edmonton proper or are you? Yes. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Kelly. Cool. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. It's so good to talk to you. Like just in like real time. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to <laughs> like, you know, you get a sense of what people are like, um, online. Cause that like people are pretty consistent, mm-hmm. you know, how they respond and how they talk and stuff, but it's nice to actually like chat in real life. Yeah. <laughs>